everybody. It's time for another episode. It's finally time for another episode of The Crackpots and These Women, the West Wing and other show podcast you hopefully find are welcoming back into your lives with open arms as we have finally been, been able to sit down and hammer out a time where at least three of us can watch an episode of TV and make time to talk about it. Seven Today months we'll later. Be- <laughs> That, that that did not necessarily absolutely have to be said, Jared. Anyway, today we are jumping forward from where you last saw us uh, into episode 15 of season three, Dead Irish Writers. So essentially uh, we've decided to just go to the episodes that we like to talk about. Pr- pretty much because that's the only way that any of us will actually show up to record. I mean, when the when the world is so depressing as it is, it, it does not necessarily inspire one to sit through depressing episodes of TV about politics. Anyway, as you have already heard, we have me, Kate Morrison, we have Kate Feldman, and we have... I, I can't remember if... Were, were we using your full name by the end of this? Because you're writing it your full nine now. That was Sean, not me. I was always Jared. <laughs> well, yeah, you were always Jared, but yes, I was no, doing the yes. last same no, thing. No, that now. was Sean, yeah. not me. And Jared Seidler, who does not, you know, is is not, I don't know, a man in black or something, and therefore can actually use his last name. Yes. So, Dead Irish Writers, everybody. I feel like before we get to Dead Irish Writers, we should fill in what happened between HCon 172 and Dead Irish Writers. Oh, yes. For a lot of garbage. Yeah. So Dead Irish Writers actually just could really pick up after HCon 172 because it's basically the end of the Bartlett MS storyline, which almost gets dropped for those episodes um, as we have everybody angry at each other, because Sorkin loves to make everybody angry at each other, but specifically Bartlett and Toby are angry at each other, and Josh and Donna are angry at each other. <laughs> and by this episode, that's kind of done. And, yeah. Um, so 100,000 Airplanes is a State of the Union episode. It's the only bad State of the Union episode. Uh, the Two Bartlets is the Amy Gardner introduction episode. Would you like to talk about Amy Gardner, Kate? No, Amy Gardner's in 100,000 Airplanes. Is she? Yes, that's where she's... Her, her proper introduction episode is in The Two Bartlets. Okay. Well, Amy Gardner shows up and Amy Gardner is, you know, Amy Gardner. Amy Gardner is Aaron Sorkin's idea of a feminist. She is annoying. She she is someone who would have been a much better character because the actor can do more than she does. Amy Gardner is someone who could have been a much better character if she was written by literally anybody else. She actually becomes a much better character after Sorkin leaves, too. Yes, after Sorkin leaves, and after they finally make the right decision to break her and Josh up. Mary Louise Parker, Uh, by the way, is one of the most talented actresses of her generation. This character sucks. Yeah. She is is trying so hard. She's trying so hard to take this really shitty material and turn it into something that's like resembling a human. But it's so flat. It's so one note. It's so 
women's rights. That's the thing. The only the only thing that Amy Gardner is is a feminist. There's nothing else to her. Yes. And that is and not she's in, like that's very not an uncommon way. That's not yeah. an uncommon way for male writers to write feminists is that that's all they are. There are no other qualities and to she's, them. She's often portrayed specifically as a wet blanket. Um, <laughs> it even shows up in this episode. Well, it shows up overtly because it's one of the plots of Dead Irish Writers, but it like shows up like she sneers at Lord John Marbury. Like, just like stuff like that. Um, it's just, it's not a gr- it's not a particularly well-written character. I like the character at times, but in season three, she's borderline insufferable. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say she's borderline. She's absolutely insufferable. <laughs> okay, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> I am never nice about Amy Gardner. Uh, that, then we also skipped night five, which is the return of Stanley Keyworth. And everybody is it, really, it was really, this, it was really angry. Thing. I feel like this might have been the um, Martin Sheen Emmy episode. Ugh. No, the Martin Sheen Martin Sheen never won an Emmy for this show. Well, yeah, but they keep but because as as it went on and he kept on they they keep they Good write you know, know they write episodes that are the and so having the like psychological the drama yeah the Emmy bait episode the the psychological drama the <sighs> oh I'm dealing with you know. Father issues and please don't make me talk about Aaron Sorkin therapy issues again. <laughs> what? I just no. can't do it. Just go back and find you know, like every Wait, other literally just from our first run. Yeah, <sighs> I have ranted about this already. Don't make me do it again. Aaron Sorkin, or um, excuse me, Martin Sheen was nominated for Night Five. You're correct. Aha! I can find an Emmy bait episode. Yeah, so this is the Emmy bait episode. It's also one of I, I did not I do not like Night Five. Oh, I everybody's I, oh, so angry, and everybody's so loud, and everybody's so over the top, and you lose all the the nuances of the characters. The other the episode we maybe could have came back on was Hartsfield's Landing, which we we might come back to because it's Hartsfield's Landing is a good episode. It's a you get Bartlett interacting in non-angry ways with his protégés, which is always good because you you get a much more... There's still tension between Toby and Bartlett, but it's a much more mature tension. This is, it, is, it is the tension between two grown adults who have jobs, not petty children. This is the episode where Bartlett and Toby kind of bury the hatchet, Josh and Donna kind of bury the hatchet... Um, there's some really good scenes with Sam and Bartlett. Um, is that the that's the chess, right? That's, it it's is it's the, the Bartlett plays yeah. chess with everybody episode. Uh, I just, ugh, I just was so annoyed at that. It's heavy handed, but it's, it's just like get on with it. That's like just okay. You've made up. Fine, we're good. That is why we didn't come back on it. <laughs> yes. And, and now then we, we get to Dead Irish Dead Writers, Irish writers. Where we pick up the last hanging plot thread of the MS storyline, which is that Abby was blatantly violating like nine hundred medical ethics codes. <laughs> and she's been rung up and on And also charges. breaking like law and you know not not, yeah, law, you know. 
you know, she, she, as one does. So yeah. she's been rung up on charges by the New Hampshire Medical Board. And Lord John, and it's also her birthday, so the theme of the episode, as again, Aaron Sorkin likes to theme episodes around big parties. This is a big party. Josh Schwartz also liked to theme episodes around parties. Yes, he does. Yes. So we pick up the episode with a, uh, you know, pre-party interaction between Bartlett and Abby. She's putting the finishing touches on and he's grumping in a chair complaining that she's taking too long very passive aggressively and well while it's it's a it's a funny open it's it one of those one of the things i actually like about it is that the the passive aggressivism on both sides is there and and some of it is that Definitely, if this particular scene were in the hands of less talented actors, it would be insufferable, and it would be just like classic. Oh, the guy can't wait for her to put on the clothes. But because these actors have kind of lived in these characters, it is not that so much. And I think, I mean, at least I won't talk for you two, but I have seen my parents have that, you know, passive-aggressive argument for my entire life. So it's not... And it is very... It's a very, you know, obvious TV cliche, but is that for a reason because we can all relate to it? It it feels lived in. Sorkin Mm -hmm. loves writing these 50s, 60s screwball comedy scenes. This is, like, right out of a 60s family sitcom. Yeah, and he's good at it. Yeah, it's it's so. fine. It's a good cold yeah. open. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. We we return to one of Sorkin's favorite Sorkinisms, which is somebody poorly doing a crossword puzzle. <laughs> and the, like, uh, not, uh, what is it? the other like, things um, about Sorkin, hold on, we don't uh, talk about as much is, and it's not all him, but he gets great casts. And we've talked about it, you know, off the side, you know, oh, my, not every actor could pull that off. But all of his shows, he gets really good actors for the roles. Yeah, and um, there would be some. You might have some people disagreeing with you on his casting of the newsroom, but that also was probably his worst show. Yes. Okay, I will well, give you so. that show. Would have been a lot worse with Hot Jeff Daniels. Yeah, and... Jeff Daniels was great. Emily Mortimer. Yeah, I without thought... Emily yeah. Mortimer. And... Okay, but the percentage of his cast. That is these high quality either character actors or just our high quality leading actors was lower in the I, newsroom. I mean, he pulled Olivia Munn off of you know Maxim basically, and she gave one mm-hmm. of, and, and turned her and I, I don't want to say turned her into, but that was pretty much her breakout role as like yeah. a legitimate strong comedic actress. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm totally blanking on his name, but the. Next, the next guy up, the guy who plays the kid in Twenty Hours in America. Uh, John Gallagher is a very good yes. theater actor. Thank Tom, you. Right, right. Tom Sadowski, who was a uh, Don. Yeah. That, that character had absolute potential to be like the worst character on the face of the earth. And See, I didn't like. That was him. actually really cool. I didn't like him, but only because I know that reporter. Yeah. Like I know that kid. You know that human being. But yeah, I mean, and. I, I don't know if I've actually said it on this podcast, but Grace and Frankie, which is one of my favorite shows. I don't know if either of you watch it. I don't. 
All right. It's one of my favorite shows. Everybody should watch it. I would like to talk about it on this podcast properly at some point. But it's the comedy that Aaron Sorkin always wanted to write but was not capable of writing. And a lot of that is because the cast is Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Martin Sheen, and Sam Watterson. And it's all these actors that he had but didn't know how to use them comedically. And, you know, that's my that's my pitch for it because we all saw, you know, Studio 60. Can't really write comedy, but... He knows he knows what to do with actors. Yeah. Anyway, we can talk about the actual. That was, that was this. I, anyway, I think we were what we were trying to say was he's got Stocker Channing in like what was essentially a guest star role. I know she's built as a star for most of the series, but she pops in and out. She's in you know five to ten episodes a season. Yeah. Roughly. Well, she didn't start as a. She started as a guest star, and then I think well, they she didn't start until halfway through the first season. Right, so, I'm yeah. saying, but she like every season. I think she like alternated between you know official cast member. But I mean, like Stocker Channing is right. Like a very but Stocker very, Channing. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's a yeah. very she's an incredible actress. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like a gazillion time Emmy Award winner, Tony Award winner, etc. And that's like you know that's not an actor that you get for that kind of role um maybe you can it's an actor that you can maybe get in the starring role or you can maybe get for one or two guest episodes but to get that it's like a recurring guest star mm-hmm. yeah and that's kind of, that kind of happens throughout the show um you know you get these you get commitments from actors that you wouldn't expect to get commitments from and you know obviously martin sheen is you know one of the great actors of the last 50 years there's really just not much you can there's really not much you can say about martin sheen you know that hasn't already been (laughs) said multiple times um other than he never won an emmy for the west wing somehow (laughs) We don't Who really... did win the Emmy that year? Let's let's see. Because that was the one year that Gandolfini wasn't eligible, and it went to like some. I might have went to like Hugh Laurie or somebody like really weird. Oh, I am looking it up. So the... no, it went oh, to no, Michael Aaron... Chick. It went to Michael Chiklis for on the Shield. Oh, yeah, okay. that was that was the year that Bartlett probably should have won because Gandolfini was just getting it like every year. But there was that was the year um, the Sopranos had the way HBO did the Sopranos season breaks. It was there was no season of the Sopranos. It was eligible that year. Oh, they weren't timing it around right. cutoffs yet. Yeah, yeah. But Alice and Janet did win for C.J. Craig. Oh yeah, every other character on the show, I mean, I think Janelle Maloney was the only, Janelle Maloney and Rob Lowe were the only, like, significant main cast members that didn't win an Emmy other than Sheen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Mary McCormick didn't win one either, but, you know. Yeah. That year, uh, that year, more, more fun facts, that year, Stalker Channing actually picked up two. She picked up Outstanding Supporting Actress for The West Wing, and then she also picked up the Outstanding Supporting Actress in a miniseries or movie. For? So, for the Matthew Shepard story, NBC. 
That All right. sounds very Emmy baby. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is, but that makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Allison Janney actually jumped from supporting actress to the lead actress category to let other West Wing actresses have a shot at the award and then started winning in the lead actress category, too. <laughs> yeah. Because Allison Janney, CJ Craig is not really a lead character in any... No. Modern sense. But they let they let the actor decide where they want to submit, which sometimes leads to some really Rob Lowe would always um submit his lead actor, which was why he never really got any. <laughs> That's why he never won one. Yeah. He also I think did that for Parks and Rec too. Because he's Rob Lowe, so he's a lead actor. Yeah, well. Has Rob Lowe ever actually been a lead actor is the problem? No, but he wears a tuxedo very well. well. Yeah, no, that's, that's my point. <laughs> he was how well, he, he led... It's how we're trying to pretend that Chris Pratt is this leading man movie star. He's not. Chris Pratt kind of is a leading man movie star now. Well, he shouldn't be, though. He he's is, been, that, he is now, though. Yes, he's been turned into one. Rob Lowe never actually made that jump, but... The year is Hollywood. 2017. Is it stranger that Donald Trump is the president of the United States and that the two leading men in Hollywood are Chris Pratt and The Rock? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, don't make Hey, me. Guardians 2 is good. It was fun. It made me laugh. I'm sure, but I just think... <laughs> there, t- is your two, there is your two-sentence review of the current movie, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. 12, 12 years ago. Do you know that really popular wrestler that was in the Scorpion King? And do you know Che from the OC? They're going to be like the two leading men in Hollywood. <laughs> Oh God! I don't know what this world has come to. Just in so many, so many senses. I mean, yeah, like those really oh, aren't the leading men of Hollywood now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they absolutely are. Yeah, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp's like a joke now. No, no, no. Uh, it's not gonna be Johnny Depp anymore. It's gonna be The Rock. All right. I don't. I don't get it. I mean, I totally get it where The Rock is concerned, but, you know. I mean, he's fine, and he's fun, but we don't have, like, quality actors. There are. They just are. There are more. I would say that there are more of them, so there's not one that's particularly rising to the top. Oscar Isaac might be getting there. Yeah. Yeah, I could get behind that. You know, Oscar, yeah, he, Oscar Isaac is in, like, everything um john boyega is in everything is uh, he yet he's not yeah no no he has like four movie like john boyega has out? like yeah he has like four movies coming out of yeah. it like uh he's in the circle which doesn't look good which but counts it's gotten panned so that's yeah fine. but it's a big but it's a big money movie and it's not panned because of him it's panned because of how the movie is oh well sure but i'm saying yeah he's in the next pacific rim no great um you know he's in let's see i'm trying to watership down oh most depressing book in the world and then he's in uh detroit which has some interesting rumors around it it's uh the story of the detroit riots Mm. and i've seen a trailer or a clip from it and he looks very good in it Oh, John Krasinski. So, I love him. I don't see... John Krasinski is trying to turn himself into an action star, and I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. He's just 
he's just like the goofy actor, which is fine. Like we need that's what Chris Pratt is supposed to be. Like that's that's a fine role. Um, Oscar. Speaking of Oscar Isaac, in the next, in yeah, he has Annihilation, Suburbicon, Life Itself, and then the next Star Wars coming out. And this is after he's been in Show Me a Hero. After he's been in Ex Machina, you know. Uh, Show me a hero is actually something we could do on this if we wanted to. Uh, but it's very interesting. But you know, so I think I think that we're kind of maybe in a lull between because you know you've had your Brad Pitts and you've had your Johnny Depp's and they've all gotten older and had their flaws revealed, and so. You know, we're looking for that next kind of generation of it's, young. Uh, it's Chris Pratt, and though. we're also it's Chris and we're Pratt. also He's... at the land. Well, it's also Chris. It's also Chris Evans. I mean, think of think of Brad the leads Cooper, of the Marvels. Yeah, Bradley yeah. Cooper's Bradley Cooper's probably Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. You know, like seriously, Chris Pratt. Yeah, there Chris are... Pratt's essentially the lead of the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World thing, which is now a big thing again. He's the lead of Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, which is one of the top, you know, ongoing series, and they're crossing it over into the Avengers. Uh, you know, it's, he's, you know, he's going to be doing huge box offices for the, like the next ten years, just based off of that. But does 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 a huge box box off? Yes. Okay. Here, so here we have to make that just divide. Is he? He is a movie star. I'm not going to argue that he is, he is a capital M, capital S movie star. But is he a leading actor? I think so. Yeah. He is. I don't he, think they he's have good into... enough. I don't think he is a good enough actor to be considered. I think he has a incredible. Leading I think actor. he has incre- incredible, likable qualities that have been pretty obvious going back to his earlier TV career before Parks and Rec, and. And they that know how usually to allows, him. yeah, he that he's put in protagonist roles mm-hmm. where he's allowed to do nothing other than be likable Chris Pratt, basically. Right, it's the same character because he can do that character. Right, and like that, there isn't like there isn't a huge difference between Andy Dwyer and Star Lord. Like Andy, like Andy Dwyer could have grown up to be Star Lord. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's perfectly fine, and I don't think that's a criticism of him. I, you know. I think there are better actors because they can do more, but he is arguably one of the best at what he does. Yeah, and, you know, he's had... I, you know, he was pretty good in Zero... Uh, he didn't have a huge role in Zero Dark Thirty, but he was pretty good in Zero Dark Thirty. Like, he, he had... Yeah, he, that movie had, like, everybody. He was yeah. one of the better parts of Moneyball. Yeah. Which, you know, was a very non-Scott Pratt kind of role. Or Chris Pratt, excuse Chris me, Pratt. Scott Hatterberg. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did the portmanteau there, oops. Um, but yeah, he's, I don't know how we got on this subject, but, yeah. you know, okay. I, you know, hey, he was opposite Jennifer Lawrence in like a sci-fi drama that did big box office for last Christmas, like, you know. Yeah, I didn't see it. I don't know if it was any good, but no, I heard it was terrible. You know, it was you know that, like, that you know that was a nine figure movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, a lot of it is Hollywood 
finding the actors and turning them into what Hollywood needs to be. There there might be, like, a legitimate test here. Like, if you star opposite Jennifer Lawrence, ipso facto, you are a leading man. Yeah. Because Jennifer Lawrence is, like, the leading woman at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, Emma Stone could make. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, there aren't as many women for that role, obviously. Well, it's also, I think, that Jennifer Lawrence is in that. Jennifer Lawrence has the Chris Pratt qualities while also probably being one of the best, if not the best actress in the world. Yeah. I would argue with you on that one. Okay. Commercially. Commercially. commercial? Yes, commercially, pink, pink, yes. Pink yeah, I would agree actress. with you on commercial. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so- again... She does, you know, there she she branches out more than Chris Pratt does, but there are a lot of similar roles being made for her. She basically has two roles instead of yeah. one. Right, exactly. Yeah. And none of these people are on the West Wing. Now that we're back, we're probably gonna talk <laughs> even even on the episodes that are about the West Wing, we're probably gonna talk about politics in the West Wing less for, you know, obvious reasons. Yeah. But I don't even know where the fuck we were. Let's talk about Lord John Barbary. We were still at the beginning of the episode, and so they were bickering, and then they finally go down to dinner, and there's a fanfare, and it makes everybody, including me, uncomfortable. And then we get Lord John Barbary, one of the best tertiary or quad, quad, whatever the word for four is. Um, characters, fourth tier characters on this show. Abigail, your breasts are magnificent. <laughs> she's wearing. Case you haven't actually watched this. She's wearing a dress that is it. it it's corseted. Let's just put it that way. It. it they're knows, definitely more on display. How to wear it? What? He knows what she's got and how to wear it. Exactly. May I inquire, Mr. President, the first thing that attracted you to Abigail wasn't her magnificent breasts. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, it's just... That is, I mean, I think he's... I mean, he is arguably one of the best to guest characters at all. He's such a fully formed star immediately. Yeah, and Roger, Roger Reese is another example of a really high-level actor that um, unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but you know, he was like a really high-level theater actor, and he just kind of popped up. And, I mean, and some of that is, um, it would be on, you know, Reese, because you're kind of given the sketch of a character, and I, I'm sure that the, they you know, Sorkin leaned her much harder into the kind of fa uh, loose limbed. Is he drunk or is he not drunk? Um, kind of characterization after seeing what Reese did in the first episode with Marbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also like. Do shows- we know? how this character was written, or was it just you I, give him the script and you let him do his thing? Does anyone know? I don't know. I do I know think- that, this, that Grey's Anatomy basically brings in Roger Reese, and Roger Reese kind of plays a similar character, and it comes across horrible and creepy, so... Yes, well, that's why I was asking, because I remember that, too, and it is a very similar character, so I don't know if Grey's Anatomy just copied it, 
or that's just what Rodriguez wants to do at this point, wanted to do. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know too much about like the late career of Roger Reed, so, <laughs> which is perfectly fine for the record. You know, earlier in his career, he was more of a serious actor, but um, he was he was also a stage actor more than mm-hmm. um, more than a TV and movie actor. So, and this is kind of a stage Broadway performance in a lot of ways. It's, it's very definitely silly. acting for the last row. Right, and that's fine. And as we've discussed on much, much, much earlier episodes of the podcast, if Lord John Marbury showed up more than once a season, it would be it would be a problem. Oh yeah, like this is the exact correct amount of Lord John Marbury. And we also, even within the episode, we get Lord John Marbury joking yeah, I was, around, I was, I was just but about then he to say becomes. That. Within we we do get to see the more finesse parts of Reese's acting. Because you get these little tiny scenes between two characters instead of him playing to a room. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm fine just discussing the rest of the storyline now. I, mm. I, Some of my favorite stuff, like, I don't know about like the entire show's run, but certainly in this episode and certainly in this section of the show are the Toby Lord John Marbury scenes about yeah. Brendan McGann. They're very understated, very... Just very, very well acted scenes with a lot of subtext and just two actors playing off of each other that are two characters that you wouldn't expect to see together but have a lot of similarities and it's just really good acting work. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's not, written well because yeah. when the conversation starts, it's Leo just picking the you know the closest person to him and handing Marbury off and it happens to be Toby. Well, the closest person who also would want to get away from the party. I don't even know about that. It works, but I don't even know that it was presented that way. It was Toby's in the hallway. Toby, come here. Well, I th- well because the impression I got was like Toby was lurking, like he was lurking to wait to make his you know felicitations to Abby and then leave. Yeah, because they're right. kind of off in a corner, and and Toby's just kind of lurking. I mean, Toby does lurk a lot. That's like one of the defining things of the character, but. <laughs> <laughs> And there's also the very subtle, and it comes out over the course of their conversation, that Lord John Marbury, as a politician, actually agrees with the White House negotiating with the IRA. But because of the government in England, he is under the obligation to tell them that they cannot meet with Brendan McGann. Well, and it's not even they're negotiating with the IRA. As, I mean, as Toby says, they're not they're even... they bring him to a lunch. It's not... You know, yeah, yeah. they send him an invitation Fain, to lunch. And it's not the IRA. This is yeah. It, the the IRA Sinn Fein relationship remains fifteen years later an incredibly complicated mm-hmm. thing. It's not something that we could discuss. We could do an entire podcast series on that, and not even. I mean, and we are we. Well, you might be, but I am not the person. I am not a Irish politics and independence historian. I know just enough about it to get myself in trouble. <laughs> so we should probably the story leave the serious discussion. <laughs> so if you want, if you want to find an Irish politics podcast, I'm sure there's one out there. I'm sure there's more <laughs> than one out there. It is not the crackpots and these women. We <laughs> could turn this into a French politics podcast. I've been reading up a no. lot of my French politics lately. No, I mean, go, I go, no, and, go, and, go in Marseille. Oh, good lord. No. 
Hey, Curtis Granderson's good all of a sudden. We could talk, We, I mean, if we want to talk about French people, we could talk about Antoine Roussel. But that's as far as I'm willing to go on the French right now. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Also, can so we that's Lord Marbury and Toby. It really bugs me, that, and I know like, it's the whole point. The English, you know, the English diplomat, like, he represents the whole UK, and it just really annoys uh, me. Well, he, okay, he is English because he is an English lord, and he himself is English. Right, so no, 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 I totally diplomat, get it. English diplomat would not be wrong, referring to him as the British diplomat would also not be wrong. Um, but, but technically it is. Technically he is the, well, yeah. he is the Queen's representative. Yeah, it just really bugs me, and they it's a stupid thing, and I fully and they do, and they do, Well, they they do say he's the queen's representative, and the yeah. queen. Oh no, no, no I'm saying it's I know the United Kingdom a, ambassador to the United States. Yes, and it's a ridiculous thing to get hung up on, but it's always bugged me every time I watch this episode or so, all. But, Scotland, so, England. So after wait. we have these like three heavy scenes uh, of Toby and Lord John Marbury well, well, discussing, let's like talk about how they get there. So, yeah. so. You know, Leo grabs Toby. They end up going off to find a scotch because there is not acceptable scotch at this shindig. <laughs> and they end up in this. So you come out, you get out of this very, very noisy environment, and they end up in a dark, smoky bar having scotch and talking about the scars on their respective countries. And it is a really purely fascinating scene because this is where you get to see Reese drop the ebullient, um, cheerfully offensive mask and actually reveal the reason that he's, a di- you know, reveal the reason that he's a diplomat, reveal the reason that he's an ambassador at all, the reason that, you know, he would be picked and would remain because, you know, we see, we see when he becomes an ambassador, he's kind of like the third choice. But once you have your third choice in, you can change your ambassador whenever, I assume. I mean, I'm not I'm not super read up on the sure. policies of Great Britain, but I'm assuming that, you know, you can fire an ambassador whenever it's you want. Luck. It's a bad luck to fire an ambassador for absolutely no reason. Well, well I mean, but there's that's that, trying to come up with a reason. If there's that episode actually... where, where they have to change all the ambassadors, like oh, Micronesia yeah. and everything. Yeah, they like, well, have to come up with reasons and all of them are yeah. Right, so you can. No one's going to question it, but they're technically how. Yeah, they have to come up with something. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, Marbury's an inveterate drinker. You can always come up with a Marbury's decided to retire to the country for a more private life and to dry out. But he clearly, there is clearly a brain there that we get to actually see mm-hmm. in this interaction with Toby, and it's just it's really fascinating. It's beautifully shot. It's just they they get deep enough into the and, and there's a really there's a really good there's actually a really good um, metaphor in there that I it's so good that I swear that Sorkin didn't come up with it and I want to know who came up with it first but the the talking of, or where it came from but talking about you know the idea of of a country's original sin yeah I That's did like it. That's something that's been discussed in history with slavery specifically. I mean, that's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's like something you would hear discussed in like a high level college history class or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's a very, it's a very interesting discussion between the two of them about also why, you know, and, and it's done in so few words, weirdly for a Sorkin show, it's actually accomplished in 
I, you know, if I if I'm looking at the transcript, it's let me let me run back up and do a um It's basically two scenes. Yeah, it's it's two scenes, maybe mm, three, th- three, two and a half, three. Two and a half, three scenes, maybe you know, I'm trying to figure out page, you know, like script, you know, script pages. Five or six Five to six pages of, you know, and for Sorkin, getting into something meaty, that is tiny. Uh, Because Sorkin, Sorkin runs long. (laughs) Yeah. And this is also a milieu, which is specifically Toby. Like, Toby, over the course of the show, has a bunch of one-on-one sit-down over drinks in a smoky bar. That's, like, Toby's, like... I don't want to say yeah. gimmick, but it's like his natural habitat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's how we're first introduced to Toby. Well, not first. Well, no, well, that's how chrono- that, chronologically yeah. first introduced to Toby. Yeah. No, well, that's that's what I yeah that's what I meant. That's yeah, like in um in the yeah. shadow of two gunmen. Yeah. Yeah. He's just sulking at a bar. And that that pops up over and over and over. Again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then after they resolve their issue, um, John Marbury pops up back at the end of the episode and says, Abigail, may I grasp your breasts? <laughs> I love Zorka. I'm but standing, it's so... or not Zorka. Uh, she, I'm standing right here. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's also, you know, it's, it's also, it's funnier, but it's also like, now that you've seen him drop the mask and you know, like, that it's some level that's an act. Yes. He clearly wants to be underestimated. Mm-hmm. Right. And he goes, you know, we get more, you know, Marbury and Gerald, and there's, a, there's I think, two scenes with Marbury and Leo, where he still, uh, he's pretending to think that Leo is Gerald the butler. Yeah. Still. Well, what was it, what was the full line? It was, unless you got a new chief of staff, I'm Staffing talking about Gerald. Yeah. Something. Yes. <laughs> So that that oh. is the Lord Ma- Jor- John Marbury and Lord Mon Jarbury. Mon Jarbury. Yeah, he pops up once more, I think, but this is like is that basically all? his. I think it's twice song, more. I think. I think he shows up in. I think he shows up in once in six and once in seven. Yeah, but this is. This is like this our is last definitely the biggest Marbury episode. Yeah. yeah, this is like our last substantial Lord John Marbury. And, you know. What a way to go out. Yeah. So, so the other kind of the, so the other kind of big plot of this episode is Josh and uh, Amy. Um, and well, you get kind of three. Each each one of the members of the uh, the what's the term? Senior advisors senior has staff. their own. Um, the senior staff has their own um, plot. So you get. But they're kind uh, of all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get CJ. So so CJ's is the most tied to Abby, where there's been a rumor about a one of the physicians on the New Hampshire board of uh, 
medical board recusing himself and he was going to be the swing vote. And so you get CJ popping in and out. You get uh, Sam and a former professor of his, or teacher of his. And that's just kind of a weird... It's very bizarre. There's no. It's very bizarre. It. Yeah, it was literally just to give Rob Lowe something to do, I guess. And Look, this is and another like, one. They bring in Hector Elizondo, who's like yes. a really great actor, and he's just playing like this one-note shit role. Yeah, but it's a fine. Like it's funny. Like his whole little monologue about smoking in the White House. Like it's fine. He's, sure, he got paid lots of money yeah. for it. He's more of a Hector Elizondo's kind of like a that guy sort of actor. Yeah. Like he just yeah. pops up in everything. Yeah. Look, my like whenever Ka- Cali like, Torres's father. Yeah, oh <laughs> yes. Mine is Princess Diaries. Like Hector Elizondo to me is Princess Diaries. Yes. FTR smoked. Yeah, no exactly. I mean it's funny like He's another one who knows what he can do and takes roles that let him do that. Yes, but I forgot he was Callie's dad. He was. Huh? Did you? I think she's coming back at the end of this season. Dude, I'm like I'm like twenty episodes behind. So oh really? I'm like, I mean, it's not good, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I I was basically told like. Um, yeah. Who told me? Might have been Corinne. Was just like. You're gonna hate this. <laughs> oh, it's terrible! It's absolutely yeah. terrible. I don't know why I'm still watching it, but it's really bad. Like I, the last episode I watched was like Meredith like starting to date after Derek died. Yeah, and that was like a, at least a season ago now. I think she's now dating Owen's dead sister's. Husband or boyfriend or whatever. Oh, he that was. dude! Oh yes. God! Because oh, they were kind of hinting at that yes. already. Exactly. Ah. Who Maggie also likes. So there was like six episodes oh, of God. Maggie. Both. It's terrible. It's oh, so bad. God. <laughs> okay. It's really bad. We'll do a Grey's Anatomy podcast one of these weeks. Oh God! <laughs> just hook her up with Alex. Like if you're gonna, if you're just just like hook her up with Alex and stop like basically well well no because i don't know i mean you, the whole thing with joe how her she's married i i don't yeah i i oh. didn't get that far okay well joe is married and she changed okay because her husband beat her and they cast her abusive husband as matthew morrison oh god no what? that's horrible matthew morrison has not made good like professional decisions since glee yeah. The last anyway. thing he was in, he had a one episode guest role in Younger in which he had sex with sheep. Okay. Like, he's um, really bad. He needs a new agent. Rosando, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He really does need a new agent, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Cripes. Um, um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I mean, Sam, you know, that was the Sam thinks he knows more than he actually does role, which is kind of what Sam is for most of the show. Sam is clearly starting to be phased out by this point in the show. Yeah. So, like, they're having to come up with things for Sam to do because he's kind of started to become outside the orbit of the rest of the cast. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, he, he gets this kind of plot. Yeah. And... I did like the line, how much time do we have? If you listen very carefully, I can teach you how to spell it. 
then there's then there's Josh and Amy and representation on the campaign staff and which is a perfectly valid argument that cannot be handled written, by Aaron Sorkin. Written, written exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, Amy is the where what could have been done as a you know why it why is it that all of the people you automatically go to are men is in de- instead Denna as oh look at what a meddling harpy Amy Gardner is mm-hmm. because they do it during this party they do it. While Josh is being a they're both being brats, but like while Josh is being a brat, and the only like really fun side plot line is the whole Donna suddenly is Canadian, line, which I which love. is genuinely hilarious. Which is so is. basically Donna's supposed to be at this party. And third side note, these are probably the best dresses they put any of these women in, and. Till like the inauguration, because that that was one of the things like of like, you know it's it is well, a dated show and a lot of the CJ fashions are dated. CJ and the the Black Bear Wang. Well, we're not to the Black Bear Wang yet. Oh, you said inauguration. That's before. okay. Oh, okay, you're right. Yeah. Um, CJ's Black Bear Wang, Donna's Black inauguration dress, mm-hmm. but um. The anyway, the Donna's pinkish silk dress is really, really pretty. The white for all the they complain about Amy, the white with the black embroidery dress that they put her in is like the twin for a dress I drooled over in like you know my junior year of college because oh, it's I wanted. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's stunning. The brown that they put on you wouldn't think brown is a good color, but it's clearly rich taffeta, and it it looks really, really good on Soccer Channing. Mm-hmm. The only one and I Alice don't really can... love is well, like, Alice and Janie can wear anything. She can, wear, she can literally wear anything. Yeah, but you know, that's hers is the one that I don't like have deep love in my heart for. No, but she, I mean, she looks phenomenal. But it's just yeah. it's a fine. It's, it's fine. because it's Alice and Janie, right? <laughs> um, but basically, Donna can't. They won't let Donna into the party because they did the standard background check, and she's apparently not American anymore. Um, because uh, the INS, you know, clarified the border and her birthplace is now in Canada. <laughs> and it's just very, it's a very cute thing. And you get Josh claiming to have brought food and having brought olives. He did, I noticed he did, you know, leave the alcohol, which was nice of him. Um... And this, this all, all of these, the women's plots all lead to them ending up in a, in the, like, upstairs of the residence, getting hammered. Um, and we get a bit of heavy-handed Sorkin dialogue that is nevertheless interesting in its implications and thoughts. Um, basically, Abby finds out that she's going to be suspended you know, she's going to have her license taken away for a year by the board because the vote that recused himself. And she decides that instead of standing around forcing a smile on at the party, she wants to go get drunk. Uh, so she recruits you know, the, the only female, the, the main female characters, Amy and Donna and CJ. Well, Amy and CJ originally, but then Donna wanders in. Um, and we get this scene where it's it, it it brings up something definitely worth talking about 
because you get the, well, but I'm a doctor and being a doctor is the main thing I do and it's the biggest thing I do and if they take that away, then what am I? And you get the other women pointing out, well, you know, you're also first lady. and It's like, you're also, you're, you're a mother, you're, and it's just like, that, that whole thing kind of, I, I twitch just a little bit at that. I cringe a lot more than a little bit at that. <laughs> like, like it's clearly, like, it's Sorkin, so it's like I cut him a little bit of the, like, a tiny bit of slack because it's Sorkin, and so you can never, it's like the whole, like, what am I expecting out of Sorkin yeah. thing. It's not know? worse than anything else. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, because there is, like, a, there's a, there is that whole, they can't take the fact that you went to medical school and graduated and it's not a you know and and it's not a permanent suspension of your license, and the yeah. and, and look Donna's and right fact, and Donna's right the fact that she can still have an influence on medical policy as first lady is a is you know is a valuable thing and so if she wants to keep that influence and help the campaign doing what she ends up doing which is voluntarily giving up her license for the rest of the time that Bartlett's in office. Oh, I was saying Donna was right about the fact that she was also a doctor when she... Like, oh, well, her, yeah. Broke I mean, her and, that's, and that's the best thing, is that, is, you know, well, you were also a doctor when you gave him the drugs. Yeah. You know. Look, it's, it's, your, it's your chickens coming home to roost. Like, yeah. you knew what you were doing. You knew you were probably going to get caught. This yeah. shouldn't be as much of a surprise as it is. Yeah. You know, you, you, you did the thing, you mm-hmm. knew you were doing the thing, and now right. you're getting punished for the thing yeah. that you knew you were doing. And it, you know, it, because in the end, it's not political punishment, which, you know, even though it, it is po- political punishment, because, you know, what does she say about, you know, doctors prescribed medicine for themselves and give it to their family all the time, and it's usually a slap on the wrist. And so, yes, getting the full one-year suspension is the is is the political part of it but it's still an appropriate punishment for the deed mm-hmm. right you should have you know i mean and i'm more of a pessimist than most but you know you you prepare for the worst yeah she should have known you know as soon as you started doing it in the back of your mind the whole time is i'm gonna get caught this is gonna blow up in my face i'm gonna ruin my career but I'm going to do it anyway to save my husband's life. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's, it is a nice scene where you get all of the, the main female characters in a room. And I, I did like Amy, the whole, you know, I'm looking for something to take notes on. Don't you think I want to write a book one day? Yes. It's I funny. It's cute. Like, But no, and it's also because we skipped the two Bartlett's episodes, but it's a similar with the are you first lady Abby are you first lady or are you Abby? Yeah, and it's it's a similar concept, you know. Yeah, are, are we you... talking to you on the clock or not? I didn't actually think of that, but yeah, that it yeah. is basically the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I mean, because all of these, you know, they do have this dual personality because it's mm-hmm. your your position of 
you know, is it is it the Abby that's in the party having to smile and take the pictures and, you know, tell her husband to shut up under her breath? Mm-hmm. Or is it the Abby that, it, you know, decides to go upstairs and get blazed? Right. Not blazed, and I mean, but, you know, blasted. There's the word I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> different, yeah. Blazed is a different thing entirely. Different, right. You know, it's the, it's. The happy hour with your boss. It's are you still my boss or are you just someone I'm going out for drinks with after work? Yeah. It's, you know, and that's, and it's a completely valid question. And I've had that conversation, you know. And my, yeah, that's because I don't go out for drinks with my boss. Right. Well, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think it's fascinating. It's a dynamic I certainly wish we got more of. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I, there is a really amusing CJ. Um, CJ drunk, drunk CJ, starting a sentence and then wandering off into internally, but externally, <laughs> internally debating whether or not she should acquire a cat. Her <laughs> stream of consciousness. Yes, and then oh, it's just kind of trailing off. I mean, it's such great Alice and Jenny as the comedic actress. You know, this the, the trailing off, and then oh yeah, where, where, where was I? Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, some crazy cat lady. I don't have any cats. Should I get a cat? I don't really like cats. <laughs> I mean, so great. Yeah, the the Abby plot or the the Amy plot line giving that you know. Giving Abby the name, the list of women, female names to give to Josh. Comes back to feminists only being allowed to be feminists on TV. Yeah. It's bad. It's heavy handed. It's very bad. Yeah. But. That's like her only, her only role is to be there to be a plot device to shove Josh mm-hmm. and Donna apart and to be Aaron Sorkin's idea of I don't know, Maureen Dowd or somebody like that. Didn't weren't they dating around this time? No idea. I feel like that was I, the thing that happened. Yeah, it was yeah. Vaguely in that time frame. Yeah. But Yeah. Us talking about Sorkin's women issues is women's issues is nothing new on this podcast, unfortunately. (laughs) But I like it. This is one of the better episodes of the show. It's fun. It has enough seriousness, but also enough levity. You get, you know, when I left the room, they were all American (laughs) Uh, because you you know the first lady. The first lady sets up a you know a prank to play the Canadian anthem for Donna and then it turns out that Donna's American after all if she passes a three part literacy test and a you know American history exam and you know, fills Every out a form. Every single time I watch that episode in my head Josh is gonna go haha just kidding and it's not like he's actually saying it, I don't know why but every time he says that it sounds like he's screwing with her to me because it seems absurd it's so ridiculous. Well, I mean, but it's also with the federal government. There is always paperwork, and I'm sure. Oh that no, it... I know. It just he's just like rambling off this list, and it seems like there should be a punchline, but there is not. Yes. 
but all in all, it's a very fun, very fun episode that was a good jumping back in point um, for whatever this is now. Whatever this is now. <laughs> Us. <laughs> Good jumping back in point for the podcast. For people talking about stuff that may or may not be the last thing at any given point. Exactly. Do we have any idea what we're talking about and when we're talking about it next? Nope. Nope. <laughs> so, sometime within the next few weeks, hopefully, we will talk about something. Yeah. We might jump to another husband episode. We might pull out some Parks and Rec. We might... Um, you know, there, there were a lot of shows under discussion. The yeah, problem is, we'll surprise you. Yes, the problem is that we don't actually overlap on a lot of other shows. Yeah, so we're and none of us have the same time frames free ever. Yes. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll come back with like The Crown or Gilmore Girls or something. I don't know. We'll do something. We'll, we, we will, will return. do something. We will return. Let us know on Twitter via all of our Twitter handles what you think. I am at Unlikely Fanatic. Kate is at Kate E. Feldman. Jarrett is at what are you? J.A. Seidler. J.A. Seidler. Um, the main podcast handle is TCATW Podcast. And. That was, uh, I apparently just outroed us. So, does anybody else have anything to say? No, I think we're good. Good night. Good night. Good night and good luck. <laughs>